I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. I resented how much time they spent golfing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, frankly, it would be if be a day like this in April, the first really warm day, and you'd look around at 3 o'clock and, you know, where is everybody? They're, right. they're MIA, and I'm still here working. In this episode, I interviewed Jill Magruder, an impressive female leader who oversees 2,500 people in the financial services division of Western and Southern. We discuss topics including the pitfalls of being a woman and being aggressive, having children and continuing to work, and sports talk in the workplace. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Susan. Glad to be here. Uh, I've always liked Jill. I've always admired her business savvy. We served on the YWCA board together, and uh, I've always liked you and admired you, and you were on my short list of people I wanted to ask first. So thanks for being here. It's going to be great talking to you. Uh, let's let's just start by talking about your career, kind of where you started, what your responsibilities were mm-hmm. when you first started, you know, career progression. We've got about the same amount of experience, which mm-hmm. 40 years, mm-hmm. give or take. Mm-hmm. And I know you have a law degree from Capital University, but uh, tell me about your background. Sure. So I um, did uh, graduate from law school a long time ago and uh, always aspired from the time I was in fourth grade to be an attorney and to be in the private practice of law. And I actually, uh, at a very young age, had political aspirations. So I said, well, what what do the politicians, what does, what does the president have in common with the senators and the representatives? And everybody seemed to be an attorney back then who was in politics. So that's really what got me started, uh, started my interest in the law. So I, I did get a law degree. I did go into private practice for a couple of years. Um, I found it very uh, challenging um, and not as gratifying as I might have hoped um, <laughs> when I was much more aspirational when I was younger. How was it challenging? Um, well, I was in a general practice. And in a general practice in a relatively small town, uh, required that you handled everything that walked through the door. So anything that walked through the door could be anything from a divorce to a custody case to a criminal matter, mm-hmm. a bankruptcy, whatever. And uh, I wanted to be – I'm the kind of person who wants to be perfect at everything I do. And I really felt like I was overwhelmed by providing the level of counsel – and value to my client, uh, I, I was challenged by that because you can't know everything about everything on day one. And because of the diverse nature of the practice, and it really wasn't a, a geography, uh, it was a rural setting where you could specialize, that frustrated me. And I could just tell it was going to be a long climb for me, given the nature of the business, to feel as competent and confident as I needed to be to feel I was really taking care of my client. Right. Where did you go from there? So that's actually what led to me going into the financial services world. Um, I had a friend who was, um, uh, frankly, a headhunter um, and had a client who was in need of an attorney, an entry-level attorney to do product work, to do tax work and SEC work on a product line that they were launching. Uh, and again, little experience required because it was a new line of business. Mm. So I 
uh, got an opportunity to interview for that job and took that job. So I actually started in the financial services business in a technical and legal role, mm-hmm. um, drafting contracts, working with state insurance departments, with the SEC, with the IRS. So I like to say I learned my business from the inside out because, again, it was very technical. I understood the mechanics of how it worked, and certainly from a compliance and legal perspective, I knew where my my bumpers and guardrails were and how Mm -hmm. things had to be designed, how things had to be sold. Um, and then I got the opportunity to expand beyond that. So it wasn't just how things were designed and how they were sold. It was the technology behind them, the operational aspects. Um, mm-hmm. And this was in an institution. So you went from private practice into an institution correct. and did a lot of regulatory right. compliance exactly. work. Exactly. Okay. Yes. So and then for how long were you there? So in with the initial company I went to work for, I was there for 10 years. Okay. And I was very fortunate there because the business grew very quickly, mm-hmm. and I was one of the first 14 people hired into a division that's now literally thousands of people. And the beauty of being one of the first 14 is with a growing business, it grew so fast, everybody had to do everything. Yes. So I quickly morphed out of my technical legal function, and I was exposed to IT, accounting, uh, operations, things that I never wa- otherwise would have been exposed mm-hmm. to. So it was a really great learning opportunity, and it really helped me become a generalist in mm-hmm. financial services. So you're still in that role. It's just a much you, – you grew it. it right. Uh, it, of the 14, how many were women? Of the 14, probably two. I was probably the second woman okay. in that group. So 12 men, two women That's in, in the original group. That's and this is correct. the group that you're with now. And so – no, it's not. It's oh. a company one removed from where I am now. Okay, I see. One removed from where I am. I was with that company for 10 years. 10 years, okay. And then made the move to the company I'm at now where I've been for 25 years. Right, so, right. And yeah. uh, tell me what you do there, and then we'll talk okay, about sure. when, when you started mm-hmm. as well. Sure. So currently I run um, a financial services uh, holding company. Uh, that contains a a number of businesses within that holding company structure. And we are really in the retirement uh, protection and investment management businesses. So retirement, to get a little more specific, it's the annuity uh, annuity business of these, this financial services mm-hmm. company. Uh, and then for protection, it's primarily life insurance products that right. we sell. And then on the investment management side, under that holding company, we run a, a mutual fund company as well. So annuities, life insurance, and mutual funds, mm-hmm. really that meet the needs of a broad swath of consumer markets. We go from uh, middle market to ultra-affluent market through a variety of distribution channels, including traditional life insurance agents, uh, independent insurance agents, banks, broker-dealers, mm-hmm. institutional investors, so a broad swath of products across a broad swath of distribution mm-hmm. uh, for multiple consumer markets. I see. So how many people do you have under management in your group? So um, I run directly one of the companies underneath the corporate umbrella. So in that group, we have about 250 people. And if I incorporate the others, it takes us to about 2,500 people wow. under yeah. Under my management. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you began with the company, you it was 
a corporate setting. It was mm-hmm. an institution, but right. you were charged with starting a new business within that corporate right. setting. So tell me about that and the challenges around that, that there was risk there. It may mm-hmm. not have been financial risk, but tell right. me about it. So, yes, I've been blessed to be able to start up businesses within the uh, protective umbrella, if you will, of uh, very well-capitalized um companies, uh, Mm -hmm. particularly the company I work for now. Um, So you don't take the risk that you would as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Um, But I coined this phrase from somebody else. She described herself as an intrapreneur, which is you need the resourcefulness and the creativity and the people skills to motivate others to join forces with you under that corporate umbrella. But you do take a lot of risk. You don't have the financial risk uh, that a true entrepreneur takes, but you have a lot of the other uh, challenges that an that an entrepreneur would. But again, the blessing is being the entrepreneur and not having to worry about living day to day, month to month, quarter to quarter, to, to make pay the bills, to make payroll, yeah. and yeah. just but the you know, spotlight's on you. But the spotlight is on you because the corporation is investing in you. They are investing in the initiative that they're funding. So you are expected to perform and deliver that ROI. Right. So there's pressure uh, to to meet the expectations of here's what we set this up, Jill. You know, we right. want you to help carry this out. Exactly. And so they're watching. And, and you are competing against well-established businesses that have had many, many years to run. Um, ours is a very long-term business. Uh, what we sell is an intangible. We sell a promise to pay at some point in the future whether that's a death claim on a life insurance policy, which could be tomorrow or 50 years from now, or to pay a continuous stream of retirement income over 20 or 30 years, starting 10 years from now. So because we sell an intangible, uh, it's it's a sort of a different mindset than many mm-hmm. people um, experience as, as business owners, uh, as right. entrepreneurs. So, uh, it's, it's, yeah. it requires a different perspective. Right. It's like, it's like my business. We don't have, uh, really any assets other than, you know, the mm-hmm. computers and the desks and things, mm-hmm. but it's really delivering financial services, mm-hmm. you right. know, right. working it, with life insurance companies, right. making sure they're happy borrowers, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So it's not like we have widgets, you mm-hmm. know? Right. And what we have are other people's assets they give to us that we commit to grow on their behalf Mm -hmm. so that when they need those financial resources later in life, Mm -hmm. we have a promise to pay that we can deliver on. Right. And and you're a mutual company, so Mm -hmm. uh, the the company's owned by By the policyholders. policyholders, And the beauty of that is, again, as an entrepreneur and somebody starting businesses in that Inside that corporate uh, structure, you don't have the pressure of living quarter to quarter. That's right. another beauty of where I work and what I do. Mm-hmm. You can take a long-term view, which is consistent with what you're committing to deliver to your customers. Sure, so. understood. So you're you're in a, a business like I am in that you're in the corporate setting. I'm in more of an entrepreneurial mm-hmm. type business, mm-hmm. uh, but. But it is a male-dominated business we're in. The mm-hmm. financial services business mm-hmm. is banking mm-hmm. and uh, money management, uh, life insurance. It's very male-dominated. And it was even more so when we first started. Very much right? so. Oh, yes. In the 80s. Yes. And so what 
what do you what do you see today as compared to the way it was when we were you know first starting out in the 80s well to your point there's been really dramatic change um i was as i said the second of 14 um and again it was a very small group that grew quickly but the men the growth in the number of male associates grew much more uh, significantly quickly than the women at that time. And again, there just weren't women you could bring into our group with experience because people, women just didn't start in in those roles uh, back in the day. So mm-hmm. um, the significant growth year over year, it's just, and I, should, I shouldn't say year over year, it's year over year now, but back then it was more like you had to look at a five-year block of time to really know notice a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I tell a story when I go to industry meetings. I don't tell a story. I strike up a conversation at industry meetings when uh, you take a break. And the more often than not, you go to the restroom on your break, and there will be a line in the at the ladies' room. And you'll hear people, you know, complaining, you know, about the lines and everything. And I always just sort of laugh loudly and, and strike up a conversation by saying, you don't know how lucky you are. I used to be the only person in the restroom on a break. And it'll make people pause and think, it'll make women pause and think about, oh, yes, it probably hasn't always been this way. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and then look around and see how it's still a little disproportionate. Mm-hmm. Because, but I just think people take... The mix, take for granted the mix a little more uh, these days, which is yeah. a great thing. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's changed dramatically. The um, Wall Street had an article. This was some years ago called "Potty Parity," mm-hmm. and uh, you know, do men <laughs> need the same number of stalls right. that women do? No, they <laughs> right. don't. So right. let's start there. Exactly. But yeah, so. I mean, when you're in a male-dominated industry, you can always find an open stall. That's right. That's, <laughs> That's exactly true. Right. <laughs> so. so. Um, but we talked about we talked about gender, and we're mm-hmm. in male-dominated uh, industries, and we've talked about the concept of gender neutral. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? So I use the term gender blind, and I that's always been my philosophy. Um, I'm happy to say that most of the environments I have worked in and the people I have worked for. Uh, gender neutrality has always just been table stakes, even though, to your point, it's been male-dominated. Just table that that's just a given that we are gender neutral. Okay, it's just Understood. that's just how we operate. That's how mm-hmm. our business operates. Yes. So I, I think I try to use a gender. I use gender blind because if I just. If you're if you're neutral in how you approach things, and again, neutral, blind, maybe you use interchangeably, but I think blind seems more intentional to me uh, than the term neutral, mm. uh, so that you are truly judging people's contributions on the merits of what they bring to the table. Um, and uh, male, female uh, just is not an issue. Uh, mer- pure meritocracy, um, and I, again, I've been blessed to work in organizations like that, although, as we've discussed, there have been times <laughs> yes. when you face, uh, you uh, interact with a person who is not gender blind, and of course, you do have to react to that. You mm-hmm. can't just ignore the fact that uh, one of you is male and one of you is female if 
the other person is making an issue of that. Right. But Do you uh, have a story around that? Any... So yeah, I've got I've probably got a couple of stories. I have a couple too. <laughs> yeah, give me give me a good one. So um one that um really has um stuck with me my entire career was a discussion about succession management. And again, succession management discussions are sacred. They should be the most confidential uh, conversation any team of managers has around their team. But um, with respect to my um, succession management, the discussion around me, which got, you know, sort of leaked to me, uh, when they talked about flight risk, um, someone mentioned in the meeting that my husband had a good job. And therefore, there was little risk that I would be leaving the uh, my employer or the city. And, you know, that's one of those where you just can't really accept that. Um, that was true. My husband did have a good job. But the fact that that would have come up in a succession management conversation around my flight risk was very offensive to me. Right. Um, Understood. So, so that's... Yeah. I mean, if you were, uh, if you were a man mm-hmm. and... and would Your wife ask? had had you know a job here. Exactly well, he's not going right. to leave because she's right. Exactly. Job, right. Exactly. You, know, you turn the tables. I mean, it's different. Right. So that's that's one example. Um, and it's it did figure into the equation when I left that company, the company where I started. Mm. I mean, I did leave that company after ten years, and it certainly wasn't an immediate reaction to that mm-hmm. uh, because I did have a good job. I was very happy doing what I'm doing, mm-hmm. but sort of a series of events uh, over the next probably five years, they, that did figure into mm-hmm. uh, my decision to leave that company. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, companies should hear that. Yeah. You know, that uh, And again, that, that was matters. one individual. And I don't indict the whole organization by what one individual said, because I did say I've been blessed to work in, in places that, you know, promote mm-hmm. gender neutrality. Uh, but... It only takes one person to really just sort of push you, push you over that edge. You say that's just not fair. That's just not right. Right. Yeah. right. Uh, yeah. One thing I remember about when I was—we both have children. You have a daughter, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. have a son and a daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was pregnant with my daughter, and this was in the mid to late '80s, um, and a lot of us in this age bracket, in this age group, were you know having mm-hmm. babies or just mm-hmm. had babies mm-hmm. and whatnot. And there was always talk about. Is she coming back? You know, mm-hmm, is she right. going to come back? Mm-hmm. And will she be as committed, you mm-hmm. know, to right, in exactly. her job as right. she, she comes back? Right. And did you experience that? I did not experience okay. that. I mean, but I did hear people uh, say that about other people. I never had anybody ask me that. Um, but you're right. That's, that's very commonplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I never had a situation where a question like that was posed to me that that really set me back or whatever. In fact, I have to tell the story of when I had my daughter, um, we were consummating the biggest deal we'd ever done, uh, a deal with a very uh, major uh, bank, uh, national bank. And just as it happened timing-wise, um, she was not due for another two weeks, and I was going to work right up until I needed to go to the hospital. That's just how it was going to be mm-hmm. because we were working on this huge deal. And wouldn't you know the day that they flew in from New York to sign the contractual deal, that morning I went into labor while I was getting ready for work. 
So she came in early. So, so, she, so yeah, she came in just a couple weeks early. Of course, it's my first baby. I mean, you never know when that's going to happen. But naivety, I'm good. Right. No, she'll wait till we get this deal done. You know, right? I'm, yeah, I'm sure she'll wait. Happen. She'll wait around. But the irony was like, and she was she was an easy delivery. So within. Um, I'd say 20 minutes of me being back in the room after they gave me the baby, they called from the boardroom on a conference call to all talk to me and wish me well and <laughs> congratulate me. So I said, I'm not getting too far away from the office because they're calling me like in the delivery room. Right. At least they they're let not, them in. That's yeah. right. They let At them least come they're in. not calling you to say, Joe, we need your help. I know you just had the baby, but exactly. we've got a question for you. So they were very supportive. But, oh, that's good. Uh, so, yeah, you were a working mom like I was. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, right. What was what was that like? Did you have uh, did you have support from your husband? Did you have? I mean, your your company, mm-hmm. you know, was supportive. Right. Tell me about that. Well, again, um, I'm very fortunate. So I had a husband who was flexible uh, in terms of his uh, career. Um, out of the box, that wasn't exactly the case. We were both working full time when we first uh, uh, had our daughter. Um, so you know the struggles of any new parent, uh, working or not, and then throwing the work on top of it. Uh, And again, for me, at a very critical time when we just uh, done this big new deal. But um, I was fortunate that over time and when I changed jobs and we moved to a new city, we moved to Cincinnati then, um, he took a little time off to get us acclimated. Hmm. And we didn't really understand the uh, luxury, if you will, of having a parent who could devote more time to what was then a three-year-old. So he had an education degree that he had never utilized, and he went back and got recertified to teach. So he became a permanent sub in her school system, so he was on her clock all the time. So, again, I did not have the struggles that many people uh, do in terms of how do you handle uh, both parents, you know, uh, fully engaged in a career and trying to juggle. So I was blessed to have mm-hmm. somebody help me with that. Um, that having been said, a uh, mother's still a mother. A father's not a mother. That's true. <laughs> and I had a girl. So uh, and I think you had boys, right? I had a boy. I have a girl and a boy. A girl and a boy. So, um, so you know, there was still there were still times when nobody but mommy will do. That's right. And so you still struggle with that, regardless of I think how good of a a support structure you have at home. But uh, we've talked a little bit about this. You know, the guilt that you deal with as a working mom when you know they call you at work and they need something and when will you be home and why are you on the road and you know just the guilt that that just that just um really yeah. um hammers yeah. uh that, that you let uh sort of overtake you at times and uh fast forward 20 years um you know my daughter's now in her own career um and she really understands uh what that commitment and the work ethic and the the missed soccer games, and uh, uh, I never missed a parent-teacher conference, I can say that. But, you know, the things that you wished you wouldn't have missed that you did, she really appreciates now why that um, commitment was made to the work and why sometimes she wasn't always number one. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most gratifying thing as a working mom and a working parent that once, once that light bulb goes off, oh, yes, now I understand why you were so committed and why you had to prioritize. And yeah. she values, the, frankly, the material things that it brought her. 
Yeah, you know, yeah, and they you know, have to pay think, your own rent. Yeah. They, you know, buy your own car. They get it. Yeah, then. and they know that we do it because that's what gives us joy that's and satisfaction. Exactly right. I, I don't know about you. Yeah. I could not have been completely happy being at home with that's, kids. My daughter is a stay-at-home mom with two little boys. Mm-hmm, my grand, mm-hmm. my grandsons, mm-hmm. and I can tell you, I could not have done that. Right, yeah. right, right. But I, I, you know, I remember in the 80s when I would travel, mm-hmm. my husband would take care of my daughter and mm-hmm. my son, perhaps mm-hmm. at the time, and uh, they would say, do you have kids? And I said, yeah, I've got a daughter or daughter and a son. And they say, who takes care of them when you're mm-hmm. traveling? Exactly. Like their father. Yes. You know, yes. <laughs> their father had takes care of them. that experience many times. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and, yes. and they don't come from that. Yeah, it's like right. my wife is always there with the right. kids. That's her job right. and this is my job. Right. And, you know, and so right. yeah. it's like I just smile. I'm just their dad. Yeah. You know, And I, yeah. I was fortunate. I had a, a husband who did more than half of what had to be done uh-huh. around right. the house and right. with the kids. Right. But when they were sick, you know, it's like we would split the day. That's right. And, you know, That's exactly you take right. the morning, I'll mm-hmm. take the afternoon, mm-hmm. and we'll get this done, mm-hmm. you know. Yes, exactly. So, so. Very uh, let's talk about sports. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. sports and business, and I've been in the business development mm-hmm. <laughs> business mm-hmm. for a long time. Men love to talk about sports. That's you correct. Know? And yeah. it's a dinner conversation. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I was looking at the sports pages and getting mm-hmm. used to it, you know, looking at what the Reds do last mm-hmm. night, you know, that right, kind of thing. Right, And it's, some of that just didn't interest me. Right. I, I like right. golf. I like soccer. But there right. are things that don't interest right. me. Tell right. me about sports as it relates to men and women yeah. in business. So actually sports and discussing sports have been sort of at the epicenter of a lot of my relationships uh, with men. And, you know, when I hear people say, well, should I take an interest in sports because that's what the guys are talking about when I hear women? I say, no, you, you need to be yourself. You need to be genuine. If you're interested in it, if you've been raised on it, like I was raised on on uh, college and pro football, so I could always figure into that conversation. If that's natural for you, fine, but don't don't force yourself don't to force like yourself something to like or talk about something yeah. because you feel that your male peers are interested in that. So because I have sort of this dichotomy because I was raised on uh, college and, and uh, professional football with my dad. I was one of three girls, and I was the middle child, and I think people who understand birth order sort of get this, but my two sisters said I was the son my father never had mm. because I was always with my father. They were prissier, they were they were girly girls and I just I just wanted to be outside. I wanted to be with him. It was just I don't know, it was just a natural thing between my father and I. So that's how I learned football. So at my first employer, um, you know, there was a big, it was a city that really is built around college football. Um, so that was a very natural thing for me to talk about with the guys. And to this day, 35 years later, we still tailgate together at every home football game. For the Buckeyes, I'll go ahead and drop a name for for, you know, every home game. So, you know, that was a bond that went way beyond our professional career. Sure. And uh, I've been gone from that company for 25 years, and Mm -hmm. we still do that. Now, the flip side of that, when I talk about the dichotomy, is it was also a company where golf was just – golf was the epicenter of everything these guys did. They lived to golf. And – 
sometimes I felt they lived to golf rather than live to work. And I was living to work. So I got to admit I had a resentment. Uh, I resented how much time they spent golfing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes Frankly, it would be if be a day like this in April, the first really warm day, and you'd look around at three o'clock, and you know where is everybody? They're, right. they're MIA, and I'm still here working. And you know you can approach that two ways. You can be bitter, or I can say. I'm glad they're not here. I can get ahead. I can get a jump on this. I can get a jump on that. But I did struggle. You know, I I used it to my advantage when they weren't there. But I did struggle with whether I should try to take up take golf. It off. Did you take it up? And so, so no. I finally um, <laughs> one time we there was a scramble coming up. Um, and I heard, well, scramble, that's a lot easier than just try. <laughs> you, you can maybe contribute at a scramble. So at that time, there were four women. By that time, we'd gotten big enough. I think there were four women in relatively senior uh, positions. So, you know, this was this was nagging at all of us that the guys were always golfing and we were always working. That was our perception. And so we decided we would take golf lessons together and we would go play in this scramble because they assumed we wouldn't show up because we don't know how to play, but we're going we're gonna to show them. So we sign up for like six weeks of golf lessons at the end of the workday, like at five o'clock. And we're all gun ho and we all get our little outfits and go out. The first lesson, we all showed up on time and we got through the lesson. Well, women being women, you know, golf is not the priority. So as the weeks would go on, there would be a crisis at work. There would be a child who would be six. (laughs) If we got two of us there for the lesson, it was a miracle. But we just laughed that, you know, clearly that wasn't our highest priority. Mm -hmm. And if there were other things that needed to be done, we weren't going to the golf lesson that day, where yeah. the guys would never give up. Right. You know, in our minds, they would never give up going to the lesson. But we did play in the scramble. I had no idea how you scored in golf. So at the end of the at the end of the of the round, I said they said, "How did you do?" Well, I didn't know how to <laughs> convey to the other golfers how I did, and especially my my female. Um, companions. And so one of the guys who was an ace golfer said, we used four of her tee shots. And I said, well, that must be good. They used four of my <laughs> tee shots. So that's my my golf story. Yeah. As it ties. They were slicing and, and I, uh, hooking I, I, like crazy. Yeah, they, they, were working so straight. Hard. they were working so hard at it, and I could care less. So. Yeah. Oh, I know. They get so into it. I remember it was about 1984, so I sat on a loan floor at Bank One, uh-huh. a commercial right. loan officer. Uh-huh. And all the, it was me, maybe one other woman on there and then all the guys uh-huh. and on friday afternoons when it was a nice day right. like today i'd look around and i mean nobody would, That's exactly would be there it and it's like i'm yeah. here by yeah. myself and so i decided i'm going to learn to play mm-hmm. and i don't know if i'll like it or not but i did i learned to play and i've been playing ever since See, you had so a I love whole it. different experience yeah. no i love the game i've always been an athlete motivated so. the same way mine was but i did one scramble and i was done you were done <laughs> no i and it took me a while to like it right yeah i was right. out there i thought i'm gonna be out here uh-huh. too you know uh-huh. and really yeah. hone my game yeah. so i mean i'm not like a great golfer yeah. but I, it does help relationships yeah. it does you know bond and and so forth so fast i got forward, the bug so fast forward 30 years i said that was yeah. the only time i ever golfed but this is a funny story so yeah. so my team uh 
my current team, this is probably about two years ago, there are golfers, um, two women who golf. I guess everybody on my team golfs uh, at different levels. So one day, they literally, it had been a very stressful period of time. We were working on a deal and an integration and a lot of craziness. They literally kidnapped me and took me to a golf course. <laughs> Wow! It made me like smack balls. And, you Come know, on, she's get, gonna like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just to you know, release the stress. Like we go golf to release stress. She needs it, so they put me in a cart. And of course, I had flip flops on. So that was the great story. Is Jill wore flip flops on the golf course. So, but so you can't make it fun if yeah. you're kidnapped and have to go. Right? They make you do it. Uh, let me have one more question as we kind of wrap up. Um, we talk about you know, the expectations around women in business and men in business when we have to be tough, you Mm -hmm. know, when we have to exercise authority, Mm -hmm. we have to make a decision that maybe isn't easy. And, you know, we know this, that, that, you know, when men are tough, maybe it's regarded differently than when women Mm -hmm. have to be Mm -hmm. tough. Mm -hmm. And give me some, maybe um, some experience in that, a story or examples you've seen where, you know, you can you can be you can do tough things, but there you know you mm-hmm. can go too far as a woman. So um, early in my career, very early in my career, when the ratios were uh, really disproportionate of men to women, I worked with a woman who was relatively high ranking in our organization. I didn't work directly for her, but um, she was an individual who, uh, again, I respect this about her, really wanted to support the other women in the organization and really help them grow and really climb the ladder within the organization. But there was a problem with that. Um, She started in business much earlier than I did, a very smart woman, Uh, But when she began in business, regardless of her education or credentials, you had to start in the clerical pool as a woman. Mm. So she started in the clerical pool. And again, because she was hardworking, she was bright, she rose up the ranks very quickly. But at some point, at some level that she struck, she she um, started reliving her past and comparing her rise to the men beside her. And never letting them forget that she started in the clerical pool and they started as a supervisor or they started as a manager. And she just, um, she couldn't let go of where she came from. Hmm. And it got to a point where the men would avoid this person because they knew no matter what the conversation was supposed to be about or what the issue was that was on the table, somehow it was going to come back to she should be ahead of them in the corporate ranks because of where she had to start. So so she started at a disadvantage and she kept rubbing it in. That's sort of exactly chip on her right. Shoulder. And yeah. she wasn't self-aware. I mean, mm. she didn't realize that she, that this very this very capable image that she had was being eroded by her constant almost obsession with the conversation around gender and mm-hmm. where she started and where they started so uh, she was trying to be helpful to the other women um who were up and comers within the organization but it became um a problem to be associated with her she was a because sort of it, a troublemaker. Well, uh, well, she just, 
if an aggressive you, yeah uh, if approach. you if you associated with her if you were seen at her group lunches she held or she tried to help mm. hold meetings they'd say well there's another feminist there's another <laughs> you know they would judge you based on her behavior right. and it was a very sad thing because she had so much experience and knowledge and it, she could have been such a great mentor but was she was seen as such a radical that the men didn't want to deal with her right and i i just I, her, i've not think, seen anything uh, yeah, like her, that in my career yeah but, yeah so her the way her approach was do you think they took the way she was and maybe thought oh, yes, of other sir, women yes and exactly. it hurt, hurt them because right. they thought well the, you know all right. these women are yeah. right um, if they're part of her little bevy then they're going to they turn into her and again they didn't right just didn't want to deal with that conversation yeah almost every time yeah. you had a meeting or so it didn't serve her well and so what what did you learn from that that you've well done your career i again i think back to the gender blind i yeah. mean you really gender neutral gender blind uh gender is not a card you play unless it's played on you mm -hmm. um and you have to again she came from different circumstances but i think again Humility. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. There are certain things. There's certain things you just need that are required for you to succeed. Mm -hmm. You know, humility, genuineness, work ethic, uh, mm -hmm. resourcefulness, the ability to get along with other people, to listen well, to read, be able to read people and personality types. Yes. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You need those things. But um, again, I think. Women are more emotional. We talked about this uh, before. Uh, I wanted you to address you, that. Was okay, going to be so, my one more so, question. <laughs> so I do think um, you know we Emotion don't we don't place. always yeah. I, I mentioned attributes, but we don't always um, uh, uh, wear those attributes uh, the same way between men and women because I actually think it's a great thing. And when I hear men say, well, women are more emotional, and I always say, thank God, because, you know, your emotion comes from your heart, right? Mm -hmm. And you say, I've got my heart I need to use, and I've got my head I need to use. And, you know, it's that balance between heart and head. And I I will say on my own behalf, I can sometimes let my heart outweigh my head, and there are times when I need to let my head outweigh my heart. And I think mm -hmm. knowing where that balance is is difficult, Um I'm an emotional person, and <laughs> I've told the story many times about when I when I know my heart's going to overtake my head and it's going to get me in trouble, or I'm going to um, say something or project <laughs> some behavior that I don't think will be acceptable to my male counterparts and maybe even some of my female counterparts. Mm -hmm. I will I will take go a break. And I yeah. will take a break. Yeah. I will walk in the restroom. Right. I'll shut the door. I'll bang on the doors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever I have to do to make sure I sort of stabilize mm -hmm. myself. But I've often said there are some decisions that you make with your head that if you didn't engage your heart, you wouldn't make the right decision. Right. You have so, to. So, yeah, you have to. I, and it's possible I mean, to pause, right? Like we, if you're emotional in a conversation, mm -hmm, you don't mm -hmm. have to do it, right? You can say, right, right, I need to talk right, about this later, right, process it, think about it. Because right, we are emotional. Right. And mostly for me in business, it's been emotion around anger and mm -hmm, frustration. Exactly. Which will cause me to get emotional. Exactly. And right. 
Right. So it may not be the time to talk about this. And it's right. Almost all conversations Mm -hmm. can wait. Mm -hmm. That's right. Step away. Yeah. Because sometimes they don't know how to handle it. Well, I would say that's that is uh, an issue in dealing with in a male dominated industry or being in a male dominated industry. Uh, Men do not know how to handle crying. Right. They don't. I haven't (laughs) seen it yet. So yeah, I haven't (laughs) seen that yet. So yeah, it just uh, and sometimes that sort of freak out. Factor is right. a good thing because it does um, does help you pause. It does help them pause. But, like, yeah, we'll talk later. Yeah, well, yeah that's exactly <laughs> right. They call crying. they call the timeout instead of you calling the timeout. But but my preference is not to get there. Oh, um, yeah, you know, me too. I really I don't want anybody to see me cry. No, I mean, I don't either. As I've gotten older, it's it's gotten a lot lot right, better. Right, <laughs> exactly. So I think that's just um, that's yeah. just part of who I am. So yeah. yeah. Well, good. Thank you, Jill. Great well, thank interview. You. Thanks for taking the time sure. to do this. It means a lot. Sure. And uh, it was great. Great thank to you. talk thank to you. Thank you for doing this. Congratulations on the success in oh, your career. Thank you. And you too. Yeah. You thank too. you. Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Follow us on Instagram at Leading She. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have many great ideas for women leaders.